0: Hello and welcome to the Villains and Monsters podcast, where true crime meets thrilling fiction and dark minds come together to talk about all things sinister and psychotic. I'm Cassie Sharp, suspense and thriller author and your host. Hey guys, welcome back to Villains and Monsters. Welcome to episode 14. We're going to hear chapters 31 through 33 of Where the Shadow Lies, my debut psychological thriller. And also, I have a surprise for you today. A very special guest is going to join us, read a little bit of her book, and then I'm going to interview her real quick. It's such a fun interview, Um, and that'll come later. So make sure you listen after the interview to find out What do JL and Xander do when they get to Charleston? Will she reunite with her parents? Wait, but what about her father? Remember, her father hired Xander's firm to get information on her, remember? And JL doesn't know about that. So this could get interesting. You guys have to find out and see what happens. Right, Okay, so before we get into the recap of last episode, uh, we have a very special guest, like I told you, and because of this little interview, um, this episode won't have like an outro uh, portion where I talk about what we just read and what's coming up next and stuff. Um, I've admitted that uh, for time's sake, and it's just going to end after chapter 33. Okay, so... Let's listen to the interview. So, today we have a very special guest. Her name is Victoria Ellis, and she is a multi genre
1: author. Welcome to the show, Victoria. Well, thanks for having me, Cassie. I feel very formal. Do you? Yeah, I feel like <laughs> I'm like a celebrity. You are a fucking celebrity. I'm a fucking piece of shit. <laughs> no you aren't. You're amazing. <laughs> um no, I'm I'm really glad that you have me here. Thank you so much. I'm living my best life quarantined with a baby and 10,000 animals and a really <laughs> needy husband. Awesome. How are you doing?
0: <laughs> I am fucking making it. That's all I gotta say. I am taking it one day at a time. Better than not making it at all. You know. So true. So true. Um, okay, so um, do you want
1: me to call you Tori or Victoria? You can call me Tori because we're friends. Okay, we're,
0: we're besties. Yes. Okay, that's fucking awesome. <laughs> so, so Tori is going to read an excerpt of one of her novels called Ravens Grove. So Tori, just tell us a little bit about the book that you're going to read from and
1: then feel free to go whenever you're ready. Cool. Okay. So Raven's Grove is a romantic suspense novel and I actually co-authored it with my other BFF and her name is Katie Verderamo, and maybe she'll be on this podcast at some point. I'm sure she will.
0: Yes. She she... didn't sign up, so I didn't ask her.
1: I think because (laughs) she is so intimidated by you, because you are the most beautiful, perfect person in the entire world. And, oh my God. <laughs> and I think she also is probably waiting until she has her debut novel novel out, um, which I think is going to be happening soon. So
0: Great. That's awesome.
1: Yeah. Now, Raven's Grove is about a girl named Eve, and she was actually stalked and left for dead in a, it's like kind of like a little state park area. Yeah. And a woman found her, called the police. She had like a billion stab wounds all over her body and they have no idea who did it obviously. So Eve freaks the fuck out, rightfully so, and she changes her name and she fl- uh, flies across the country and she ends up um basically just starting a whole new life on the East Coast.
0: Wow. Okay.
1: Yeah. And pretty soon her life starts unraveling because she basically what happens is um her attempted killer starts leaving her little surprises all over the place letting her know that he's back for her.
0: Ooh.
1: Yeah. So very suspenseful and there's also a little bit of a romance element to it because she meets a uh, a guy and he's fucking awesome and he's hot and he knows how to please her. Ooh, okay. <laughs> So let me read you. I'm going to read you the epilogue, actually. Perfect. Okay. May 16th, 2005. And Cassie, can you hear me okay? Like, is this fine? I can hear you perfectly. Okay. Cordelia Ford had certainly pulled out all the stops. As I took a break, she brought out a silver platter with a big glass pitcher of lemonade. The bright, sunny yellow liquid looked refreshing and I couldn't wait to gulp it down. It was damn hot outside. After she placed the display carefully onto the patio table, she told me to come sit, beckoning me with her index finger. I did as I was told, not because she wanted me to, but because I desperately needed a drink. She smoothed her dainty floral apron and surprisingly sat in the chair next to me. I looked at her over the top of my glass, wondering why she was staying to keep me company. Mr. Romero. Her voice was low, like she was about to tell me a secret. I was intrigued. Mrs. Ford? Thank you for the lemonade. You didn't have to. I forced a small grin. Well, I wanted to speak to you about something. It isn't exactly the easiest conversation to have. I, I interrupted her and told her to call me Vinny. Vinny, she repeated after me, and I nodded in my head. No, fuck, I'm sorry. It's okay. <laughs> and I, God. And I nodded my head approvingly. Vinny, I saw you kill that girl. She didn't break eye contact. My blood boiled beneath my skin surface and I had to fight the urge to get up and walk away from her or reach across the table and squeeze her neck until her eyes bulged out of her head. There was no running from her accusation, though. I had no words. You don't have to say anything. I know what I saw. And here's the thing. I'd like to make a deal with you. Go on. I want you to kill my daughter. <laughs> and that's the end. Holy shit. <laughs> Yeah, so Cordelia's kind of a bitch. And she and just like for background reference, because I'm sure most of the listeners haven't read Raven's Grove, Cordelia is Eve, who is the main character who fled away from Vincent. That's her mother. Oh,
0: Cordelia is Eve's mother? Yes. And Cordelia now wants somebody to kill Eve. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So that's like the segue into your second
1: book in the series, right? Yes. Yep, and that second book is a novella, and it just basically ties up all of the loose ends, and we kind of understand why Cordelia wants to kill her. Not that she has a good fucking reason, because she doesn't, but (laughs) readers are going to have answers to everything in that little book. Awesome, and when does that come out? That comes out July, I believe it's June. Let me double check, because I have like 10,000 releases coming. Yeah, you do. (laughs) redemption okay raven's grove redemption is set to come out on july 8th of this year okay so raven's grove redemption
0: is on pre-order now yes it is yeah okay Okay. and that link will be in the show notes guys so get on that shit and see if this bitch kills her daughter (laughs) um Okay, so let's just do, I'm um, just going to ask you a
1: couple quick questions um, so that listeners can get to know you a little bit better. Is that okay? That is totally fine. I don't know why they want to get to know me, but I'm, I'm happy. <laughs> um, so just tell
0: us a little bit about you and how you became an author.
1: So my name is Victoria Ellis. I'm 29 years old. I like long walks on the beach and my favorite color (laughs) is clear. (laughs) No, Um, I I really, um, if you can't tell just by listening, I have a very like fucked up sense of humor and I'm very self-deprecating, but I promise I actually do like myself a little bit. Um, And I've wanted to be an author for probably about a year and (laughs) I always wrote. I always, like, English was always my favorite subject. I used to write little short stories. I've always been big into reading, mainly thrillers. Um, But it probably wasn't until maybe, I don't know, 2018, I would say. And Katie, my co-author and other BFF, were talking and we were like, we, it would be really cool if we could just write a book together. And we were just like, yeah, that would be cool, but we're never going to do it. So we did. Yeah, we did finally. So we finally mustered up the courage to kind of like look into indie publishing. Um, I started my own publishing company and then we started um, publishing books.
0: That's fucking amazing.
1: Yeah. Thank you. Um, Okay. So, well, what made you, well, you said you like to read thrillers. Is that why you decided to write kind of darker fiction? Yeah, I feel like I have a very dark soul. And I think that sometimes that can kind of come with a negative connotation. But it isn't there's nothing wrong with liking the dark side of life. And I think like by speaking more about that, and, you know, with more people would just be like, hey, shit is not always fucking sunshine and rainbows. And it's okay. Like that's okay. I feel like with with social media, people are so into showing like the these highlights of their life. Like everything is fucking perfect. My baby doesn't ever shit all over me. (laughs) I have I have the best dogs and I have the nicest house. Well, I don't have any of that. My baby shits on me every day, and my husband shits on me just as much. So I just like to be very transparent, and I think why I chose to write thrillers was not only because I enjoyed reading them, but also because I think that it's important to make sure people know that this shit can really happen. It isn't just in the books. And that's why a lot of times like in my dedications and in my um, like thank yous or whatever, I dedicate it to the survivors or people who didn't survive. You know what I mean? And the families who are left because this shit really does happen. And I think it's important to talk about.
0: Yeah, no, that's wonderful. How awesome are you? Eh. eh, eh. eh. Okay. Um, well, I talked about your podcast a couple episodes ago on villains and monsters, and I told I told the listeners how amazing it is, and, um, and I was like, okay, it's by Tori Ellis and Katie, and I couldn't fucking pronounce her last name, <laughs> <laughs> so I didn't say anything. I just, I just said, and Katie. Um, and then I was like trying to describe you all's relationship. And I was like, I don't know if they're fucking related or they're friends or what. And then I was like, I've, I've heard you guys talk about like grandmas. So I thought maybe like they're cousins, but I didn't fucking know. So what are you? Yeah. You just BFFs.
1: No, people actually don't know this about us, and it's really kind of a taboo subject. So I don't like. To, yeah, I know. I don't like to always explain it, um, but I feel like this is a safe space, so yes. I can tell you we are actually sister wives. Really? No. <laughs>
0: <laughs> no, we're not. We're just... <laughs>
1: I am fucking obsessed with the show sister wives and I love it, but no, sadly, I don't have any sister wives. Um, we there? <laughs> Katie is my um, cousin and we're okay. very, very, very close because we just, we grew up like two blocks from each other and we're like about a year and a half apart. She's older by the way. Um, <laughs> yeah. And we have basically just like the same fucking personality. So we've always gotten along really well and we're just like fucking soul sisters.
0: I love
1: it. I love it. That's awesome. Okay. So tell us about your podcast. Oh my god, my podcast is a fucking shit show. I'm nice. sure that your, I'm sure that yours is much more like. Well, actually, I just listened to your latest episode this morning, which is fucking amazing, and you sound so angelic and perfect. And I feel like when we Katie and I talk, by the way, her last name is super easy to pronounce once you understand it. Okay. It is Verderamo.
0: Verderamo. Okay.
1: Yeah, but like when you're looking at it, it's fucking intimidating, right? Yeah. <laughs> You should have married somebody, like a Smith or something. Um, (laughs) God damn it, Katie. (laughs) Yeah. Um, Why does you have to find love with an Italian man? Um, Anyway, so the the podcast is called Cruel and Unusual, the podcast, and it is a true crime comedy podcast. Um, We put a lot of time and effort into the research, but then once we start talking, we kind of go off on like 20 million different tangents, and suddenly we're talking about nipples, and (laughs) 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 <laughs> what they look like when they're hard versus cold. So you're <laughs> going gonna to get a little bit of everything from us. So while we're talking about the cases, I feel like we're very professional and we're respectful. But yeah. before and after, nothing is fucking off limits with us.
0: And it's wonderful. I love it. Yeah. It's you. the most entertaining <laughs> podcast I've ever listened to. <laughs>
1: Thank you so much. I didn't I didn't listen to last week's though. That was the Delphi murders, right? Uh, that one it was probably the hardest one to date and I mean I think that was like our 13th episode so we haven't talked about too many but that one is about two young women who went missing in Indiana and they were obviously they were ultimately found murdered but the man who murdered them is still fucking walking around living a free fucking life and it's disgusting. And I want to know who fucking did that in my lifetime right what a piece of shit for Mm. real two little girls a disgusting despicable piece of trash Mm -mm -mm. okay well um tell us real quick
0: about cruel ink publishing you talked about that yes absolutely what do you guys do
1: Cruel Inc. Publishing is a publishing company that I started before I released my first book, which is Sinner's Retreat, which is still just my little book baby that I just fucking love more than anything I've written to date. Um, and I decided I was trying to decide. I watched a lot of um, booktubers like on YouTube, and some of them were like, you know, there's benefits to starting your own publishing company. There's pros and cons, which fucking That's true of everything. And I just ultimately decided that I wanted to have like this entity behind my name, mainly because I say a lot of dumb shit and if I ever get sued, they can come after Cruel Inc and not me. (laughs) 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 Just putting it out there. Um, (laughs) But Cruel Inc, I don't even know how I got the name, but it just sounded so fitting for what I was going to be writing, like the dark side of things. And it's been really beneficial. What I've mainly used it for, aside from putting that on my books, is to kind of just try and bring authors together. Like right now, we're doing the masked author thing Mm -hmm. and share, yeah, and share about as many like indie authors, you know, up and coming projects as I can. Um, But we are going to start opening up like the publishing side of things. Um, And Katie, Katie, my
0: question. Yeah,
1: Katie, Katie does a lot of. like graphics for it and she shares a lot of shit for it too so without katie i really wouldn't do anything with my life because she kind of keeps me on track (laughs) but yeah so we're going to start doing i have a i think there's information about it i'll get i'll send you the website for um the publishing company because i have 20 million websites too for all of my different personalities that i have going on
0: sure yeah um yeah, send me all your links, and I'll okay. include them all in the show notes.
1: Okay. Um, well, thank you for hanging out with me today, Tori. Welcome. Thank you for having me and the shit show that I am. And I love your podcast. I love everything about you. And if your listeners have not read Dark Dead Stars, I don't know what. I Your, your, fir- your first novel is fucking amazing. I know that's the one that you're reading right now, right? Yeah. yeah. But Dark Dead Stars is fucking life-changing. I am telling you that. I have it. I'm looking at it right now. It's right next to Fiona, my long-legged plant. And it's beautiful. Thank you. <laughs> you're welcome. That's sweet. You're going to make me cry. Please no. do. I love when people cry. <laughs> oh, you're awesome. Well, thank you, Tori. <laughs> yeah, thank you so much. I really appreciate it. See ya. Bye-bye.
0: that was such a fun interview, man, Corey, I just love her. And seriously, guys, you have got to check out her podcast. It is amazing. Her and Katie do a great job um, and their books. So all of that information is going to be in the show notes, all of the links, make sure you check them out and support them because um, they're really amazing. Okay. So let's do a quick recap of chapters 29 and 30 from last episode remember Xander and JL had a date at the winery, uh, where she ended up getting assaulted in the corn maze. And then, um, the man took her purse yet he ended up stealing nothing out of it. So that's fishy. Um, then they found out that Jason had been contacted by someone saying to meet him in Charleston, South Carolina. And we know that's where JL is from. Um, So Xander and J.L. drive down and she finds out about why he left the police force. Um, He recounts the tale of what made him decide to leave. It's very sad and tragic and um, we really get to know Xander a lot more. All right. So here we go. Chapters 31 through 33. Chapter 31. Home. It's such a versatile word. It can be literal or metaphorical, can induce warmth, terror, or indifference. For JL, traveling over 600 miles back to her hometown had felt like a trip to the grocery store. They'd gotten there quickly, too quickly. She wasn't ready to face her past, but she had to be strong for the future of her son. She could hear the sounds of people milling about the streets of Charleston as she stretched in the plush, king-sized bed. They'd arrived after midnight last night, but luckily Xander had already reserved a room for them. In her haste to flop into bed, JL hadn't had the chance to look around their suite. The walls were made of fire-red, exposed brick. The ceiling exposed pine beams. It was an old building, likely built in the 19th century like many of the historic buildings in downtown Charleston, and with a quick glance around the room, J.L. could tell its owners had spared no expense in the restoration. Sitting up, the first thing she noticed was the huge fireplace at the foot of the bed. It wasn't modern-looking, with sleek lines and fabricated material. It was black granite surrounded by carved pine. Xander's snore caught her attention. He was sleeping on the oversized leather couch. Tiptoeing across the hardwood floor, J.L. peeked out of the window behind him. It was early, but East Bay Street was bustling with energy. Memories of walking that street with Chase and Ashley invaded her mind like the regurgitation of long-forgotten sustenance, tasting of bile and acid. She snapped the curtain closed. Morning. Xander yawned and stretched. She watched him, noticing the thick scruff on his cheeks and chin. JL couldn't remember when she'd last seen him clean-shaven. She wondered for the first time how much of a toll she had taken on him. She'd leached his life, his time, his normality away from him with her fears. Xander sat up, rubbed his face, and smiled at her. How'd you sleep? Well enough. She stepped back from the window and righted her clothes. Where do we begin? He chuckled. The same way we begin everything, Angel, with coffee. An hour later, they sat in one of the inn's courtyards, waiting to be served breakfast. She watched Sander as he gazed about the area. She could tell he was impressed with the charm of the old South recreated for tourists. It was picturesque. She was pretty sure the stone flooring was likely original, as were the brick walls that enclosed them. It was a small courtyard compared to some of the extravagant ones she'd seen in the area. Creeping ivy climbed the red brick all around them, and the trees, their leaves burgundy and orange, provided both shade for their meal and a reprieve from the morning humidity that had the potential to suffocate, even in the late autumn. A handsome older man interrupted their silence as he set their trays down. Bagels, fruit, and scones filled the table between them. He poured their coffee into fine china. Setting the carafe back on the table, he stood up straight, wished them a lovely morning, and set the newspaper down before he left. While she filled their plates, Sander doctored their coffee. JL dug in, biting into a crisp, juicy apple. Xander snatched the Charleston Post off the table, crossed one leg over the other, and snapped the newspaper open. Not hungry? Xander reached his hand to the tray and grabbed a croissant. Just getting a feel for the city, he said, taking a large bite. JL's stomach lurched. They ate in silence as he flipped through the pages. JL wished he would look at her, offer her some sort of comfort. She was displaced, her nerves bustling like the streets of the city. What's the plan? He must have caught the panic in her face. His eyes softened and he set the paper down next to their breakfast. I set up a meeting with a local detective this afternoon. Oh, she didn't much care to go with him. The last time she'd been there, she shook her head. No, she didn't want to go. You should stay here. She nodded. It's good they were on the same page. She can continue to keep calling Jason And JL's breath hitched in her throat. Trembling hands reached out and snatched the newspaper. She held it close, squinting to make sure. It was him. Shit. What's wrong? He came to her side of the table, glancing over her shoulder at the article she was studying. Who is he? She shook her head. I don't know his name, she said, her voice shaking. I, it's him, the the man who attacked me at Huber's, who tried to steal my purse. Xander leaned in closer to read the article. He was murdered, he said. His body found in the middle of the White Point Garden yesterday. That's only a few miles away from here, right? She nodded, his jaw hardened. Are you sure it's him? She'd gotten a clear look at his face when he attacked her. She was sure. Turns out Charleston's hospitality extended to to their police these days. Detective Sasha O'Brien had just left their hotel. After breakfast, Xander had contacted the local police, insisting his need for information with the offer of it. O'Brien had showed a half hour later for a house call, poised to garner the information J.L. had for her. After J.L. told her about the attack, she was more than willing to hear what Xander had to say. He'd asked her if they'd run into Jason, if there had been any strange criminal activity in town the past few months, if they'd had any run-ins with a suspicious character, if they'd heard of Emily Marshall or Lila Ridley. O'Brien had given them a string of no's, but promised to keep her eyes open. She needed to get back to the crime scene at White Point Garden. Before she left, she gave JL her card. Xander was on the phone with Mike in their room while JL tried to find a modicum of peace on the rooftop terrace. She needed silence to think, to put herself in Jason's shoes. Where would he go in a foreign city? He had plenty of money, so she wasn't worried he was walking the streets, starving, but he wasn't the type to use it on this unnecessary amenities either. He'd likely be in a hotel much like their own. Something with character, but low-key. JL huffed her frustration. That described half the real estate in Charleston. There had to be something else she wasn't thinking of. He'd come here on a whim, to a city he had zero connections with. No friends. No family. Family. No, she said aloud. That was it. It had to be. She sank to the ground and curled her knees into her body. Xander sat next to her minutes later. She looked in his eyes, sure of the man before her. He was a good person, and she was damn lucky he never felt tired of her shit. I need to see my father. Xander's back straightened, his brows furrowed as he turned away from her. Why? He sounded off, defensive. Because whether I like it or not, Jason is his grandson. I think it's likely Jason went to him for help, though she hoped not. If Jason had met her mother... JL shivered. That wouldn't have ended well. Xander cleared his throat. <clears> throat. I'll have Chris and Jack take you there. JL unfolded herself and stood. You weren't coming? Why the hell wouldn't you want to be there? He turned back to the view of the city before them. No, I think it's best I stay here and work on things from this end. Plus, Mike will be landing at the airport in a few hours and I'll need to pick him up. That was Bullshit all of it. It won't take that long to talk to my father. Xander shook his head. You'll be fine with Chris and Jack. I'll see you when you get back. He stood taking a moment to admire the city from above. I'm going to go tell the boys. Let them know when you're ready. Xander walked to the door without so much as a backward glance. The drive to our old neighborhood, Mount Pleasant, had been too quick. Considering Chris had to make two stops on the side of their freeway for JL to throw up, the fact that they pulled in front of her childhood home in less than a half hour was a fucking miracle, or a nightmare, depending on who you ask. For JL, it was entirely the latter. As she sat in Chris's passenger seat, staring at the house she hadn't seen in 20 years, her craving for nicotine peaked to an all-time high. The house was much the same as it had been when she'd been a teenager. Preposterously huge, light blue with white trim, and three floors, five bedrooms and seven bathrooms of wasted opulence for two bitter adults. However, the longer she sat there, the more subtle differences she noticed. The shrubs lining the outer fence weren't all trimmed to the same height. The rose bushes on the side of the house were withered, and not the kind of withered a new season brings about. Rather, they were shriveled as if it had been winter for years. In fact, there was no pop of color anywhere on the grounds. Perhaps they no longer lived there. JL turned to the stoic men in her car. I don't suppose there's any chance of me going in there alone. Chris turned off the ignition. Boss was clear. You go in, so does one of us. Boss the boss didn't care enough to accompany to accompany her himself so the boss could kiss her ass is that so she drawled and if i refuse chris's eyes widened i no you can't not without one of us she narrowed her eyes can't chris she began turning to face him i can do whatever the hell i want to do he opened his mouth to speak but she held up her hand to stop him above However, I know you're following orders, and I know those orders were intended to have my safety in mind, so I'll allow you to come inside with me. But don't ever, ever tell me I can't do something, all right? He nodded. JL was almost certain more stairs had been added since she'd left. The ostentatious stone staircase leading to the front door had always been an annoyance. But now it was as if each step led her to further insanity. Step, doom, step, doom. By the time she reached the French doors, she couldn't seem to catch her breath. Whether from exhaustion or anxieties, she wasn't sure. Likely it was a bit of both. JL closed her eyes, summoning all her strength to knock. Her eyes were still closed, her fists poised to tap on wood when she heard the door open. Catherine? When she opened her eyes, she was truly surprised at the man who stood before her. Her father had aged badly. His cheeks were sunken in and covered with white whiskers that matched his hair. Dark purple rings encircled his bloodshot eyes, and he stood with a hunch. My name is JL, not Catherine, not anymore. Francis gave a hesitant nod. Will you come in? The small changes on the outside of the house were nothing compared to the differences inside. Growing up, she remembered the Brazilian cherry floors had been waxed weakly. They'd been so shiny, she could actually catch a glimpse of her reflection in them. Walking across the large foyer, JL took in the dull, lifeless wood and shuddered. Something was wrong. She and Chris followed her father through the formal living room, wherein there was no longer any furniture to the covered back porch. Stepping outside, she expected to find it as empty as the other rooms had been, but the patio furniture seemed to have survived whatever disaster had transformed the interior. Please, have a seat. JL complied, sitting in a chair across from Francis, while Chris took the bench that was nestled against the house behind the lounge area. I don't really know what to say, Kath. JL, I've wished for this, he gestured to her, for years, and now that you're here, I'm at a loss for words. JL took a moment to study him. He'd wished for this? She had a hard time believing that. She had a hard time believing he'd given her more than the occasional passing thought here and there over the years. You've wished for what? It came out harsher than she'd intended. He scrunched his brow. For you to come home, of course. She couldn't help it. She threw her head back and laughed, hard and humorless. Her cackling continued until tears formed in her eyes. You practically shoved me out the door, Francis. He winced. Oh, yes, I remember. It wasn't, I didn't want you to leave. Her eyes widened as she clenched her fists. You're delusional, old man. You stuck a wad of cash in my hand and turned the other way when I left. Looking down at the ground, he shook his head. I'm not proud of that. I'm not proud of a lot of things, but I'm not going to make excuses for them. I was wrong then. I was a coward and an asshole, and for that, I apologize. He could take that apology and shove it. Where's your wife? jail refused to call that woman mother she knew what it meant to be a mom and jennifer freeman did not deserve the title she left me 15 years ago she remarried not long after and i haven't seen her since that was surprising but she wasn't here to catch up has my son contacted you your son no no why why would he shit dead end He's here in Charleston. Has been for a day or two. I thought he might try to contact the grandfather he's never met. Something that looked like genuine regret passed across his face. I'm sorry but no. I wish I could say I've had the pleasure of meeting your boy but I haven't. JL nodded and stood to leave. Wait, Frances said. Can you stay for a little while? Can we talk? She shook her head. There's nothing to talk about. She was walking back inside, heading toward the door when he bypassed her, stopping to block her way. There were tears in his eyes, tears she had no time for. Please, just give me a few minutes to explain everything. She narrowed her eyes. There's nothing to explain. I'm here for one reason, to find my son and keep him safe. Nothing else matters to me. Not you, not your ex-wife, not this fucking town. She stepped to the right to get past him. "'Wait, please,' Francis said, grabbing her arm. She stopped cold. Her back stiffened, and it took a lot of willpower not to shove the old man to the floor. Chris was at her side in an instant. "'Sir, you need to get your hand off her and move aside.' Francis looked up at Chris, then back to JL. "'Is this man your husband?' "'No, he's my armed security guard, so you better do what he says.' Are you in danger? Is your boy in danger? I can help, I know people, I can call. We'll figure it out, Francis. Just like we figured everything else out on our own since the day he was born. Her father's face collapsed. JL, he said, his voice shattering. "I I didn't know what else to do. Your mother, she was going to ruin your life, your future. She chuckled, shaking her head. She'd been doing that for 18 years before I walked out that door. You looked away every single time. But you know what, Dad? I'm glad I had the two of you. I'm grateful I had 18 years of experience in what not to do as a parent. So, thank you. He moved out of her way, turning to the table, riddled with envelopes and junk. She nodded to Chris, and they headed for the door. Francis slipped a piece of paper into her hand as she brushed by. If ever you need anything. When she got to the door, she turned to glance at the house one last time. Her father was a mess of tears and angst, but she couldn't find it in herself to care. Turning the handle, she said one last silent goodbye to her past. Again. This house? Francis waved his hand around. Everything I have, all my savings, it's all willed to you. You'll have it when I'm gone. God. He didn't fucking get it. I don't want any of your shit. Will it to charity. She slammed the door behind her. Chapter 32 Lies My eyes flicker open. I'm still here alive. The smell of blood and urine are engulfing in the dark room that has been my prison for the past month, months, year. The concept of time has become obsolete. As hard as I try to count the hours, days, weeks, I lose track of them every time I pass out from the pain of his knife or the lull of his drugs. My bed is small, likely a twin. That's probably a blessing in disguise because... The cuffs bind my limbs at each corner of the bed. He keeps them so tight, I can't even raise my head to look down at myself. Thank God. I can't even imagine how hideous I've become. I used to inspect my skin when I was allowed to take off my blindfold, but I stopped that a long time ago. Ignorance? It's not bliss, but it's something. I'm not blindfolded. The realization is shocking. The only time I'm allowed my sense of sight is when he gives me permission. What's even more strange, the lights are still off. They're always on when the drugs wear off and I rouse for the day. Perhaps he's giving me another reprieve. I shiver, yesterday was terrible, exceptionally so. I'd expected my death to come soon. He'd stopped raping me days what I call days, but who knows how long it's really was, ago, and he hadn't done more than a few cuts on my thighs in trouble that time. I figured he was growing bored with me. I hadn't screamed for him in a long time, and I didn't even think it was possible to shed another tear. I don't really feel anything anymore. I've grown numb to both the things he likes to stick me with. But he came back yesterday. He came back with a fucking vengeance. The day started as usual. Wake, pee, eat, wait. A few hours later, his voice came over the speaker. Put your blindfold on and lay on your stomach, hands and feet in position. The cuffs are automatic. He must have a button somewhere behind the door that opens and closes them. The stomach thing was new. He usually likes me to be on my back. Likely to watch the horror on my face as he tortures me. Not wanting to incur his wrath, I did what I was told. Everything felt wrong when he came into the room. Funny, isn't it? That something can feel more wrong than being kidnapped, held against my will, and tortured on a daily basis? I can't really explain what was off. Maybe it was the new face-down position, but the air in the room just felt different. He started right away, but it wasn't the normal rape. I quickly figured out why he wanted me on my stomach to violate a new place. And he violated the hell out of it. I gave him what he wanted, my tears and screams. I screamed so hard, I lost my voice at some point. He finished what felt like hours later and left me alone. He was back in the room minutes later, ooing and awing over me. You're so beautiful, kitty cat. Your tears, your screams, they're mine. Only for me. Only mine, he whispered. Always soft whispers. He cut me a few times on the back of my thighs and upper arms, repeating that the entire time. Only mine. Only mine. When he was done, he got into bed with me and rubbed my back. For hours. I had to stop myself from throwing up the whole time. When he finally drugged me last night, his words repeated in my head until I fell asleep. Mine, mine, mine. I'm not blindfolded and I'm alone. I need to focus on these things, but the drugs always take time to wear off. Breakfast usually helps. I turn my head, squinting to see the table, but it's empty. Something is off, again. Is this a break or another mind game? I'm not sure I can take much more, not after yesterday. Goosebumps prickle on my skin, and I rub my arms to ward them off. I rub my arms. I'm not cuffed. I try to move my legs, but they hurt. Move. Is that what my voice sounds like? When was the last time I heard the sound of my own voice that wasn't a scream? Focus. Move. I yell at my limbs, but it sounds weak, like me. I'm so damn weak. My legs begin to obey, and oh, God, they hurt. I'm usually sore as hell when I wake up, but this is different. This is a sharp, stabbing ache. Maybe I pulled something last night trying to stop his new invasion. I breathe through the pain and force one of my legs to bend at the knee. Fuck. I can feel the gashes in my skin as my leg scrapes along the mattress. How many are there? I wonder if there's an inch left on my body that hasn't been mutilated. When my leg is finally bent, I test the other one. Move, bend, scrape, fuck. By the time I'm sitting up in the bed, my breathing is erratic. I am struck by sharp fear. If he comes in and I'm sitting up without his permission, I can't even fathom what he will do to me. Will he finally cut off an entire body part? Will he just mercifully kill me? I can't do this. He'll be back. I know he will. He's never left me alone like this. He'll be back and he'll be angry and he will... Do you want to live? The thought seems strange. Live? Can I really get away from here? Have a life that isn't full of a soft, Sick whisper and a sharp blade. This is your only chance. I am consumed by a sudden burst of strength and adrenaline, pressing my hands into the wet mattress. I stretch one foot to the floor, testing the pressure. The world tilts. Oh God, the anguish. I can't allow myself to think about it. I'll pass out. I lower my other foot to the cold floor It takes a long time, too damn long to get my body upright. My legs are so weak from agony, they barely hold my weight. My breath is coming out in loud pants. I'm mad at my lungs because they're too loud and I can't hear what's happening around me. What if he's watching me? I woke up unbound and with no blindfold. He's too meticulous for that to have not been deliberate. He's probably waiting in a dark corner to do something horrible and I can't hear him because of my goddamn lungs. Stop. Go. I take a hesitant step. One. Rub. Two. I get to 11 and the room is still. I'm walking. I'm alive and I'm walking and it's just a few more steps to the door that's across from the bed. It's going to be locked. I just know it. All this will have been for nothing. He would not leave me in an unlocked room hope starts to fade despair sets in breathe take another step another i reach for the knob squeezing my eyes shut in a silent prayer that he was truly careless please let it turn please let it turn it turns i push the door open to a dark silent hallway there's there is a door to my right step breathe step breathe the knob on that door turns too I'm almost knocked back by the light that invades all my senses. Sunlight. It's blinding, consuming. I'm sick from the force of it. I run naked and feet bare on the grass for two minutes. I feel the bile rise up my throat before my body hits the ground and everything goes black. Out the window, trees and foliage fly past. They're freaking beautiful. I want to jump out of this car and touch them, to roll around in the lush, cool grass and stare at the clouds. I want to breathe in the smells of the city and bask in the sounds of humans walking freely about. Months, five, I learned, held prisoner and two weeks confined to a hospital bed have made me antsy, anxious. It's with a fevered lust that I long for wide open spaces and breezes. Cool or warm, it it doesn't matter. I lay my head against the back of my seat. Mom and dad are in the front, brooding. I'm an adult now. My 18th birthday came and went while I was with him. Walton Thallus is his name. They retrieved a sample of his semen when I was admitted to the hospital. DNA was a perfect match for Walton, who was in the system from a few arrests in his early 20s. Easy as pie. Like when I escaped, one minute I was doomed for death, the next I was free, pie. I wonder what I was doing the day of my birthday. I wonder what he fed me that day, where he cut me that night. It's morbid, I know, but I can remember almost all of my birthdays yet. I have no idea which day of hell was the day I became an adult. It's important to me for some stupid reason. Mom? She can't stand that I'm 18. She has no control over me anymore and she resents the crap out of that. You'd think her only emotion would be a relief, but no. Jennifer Freeman is constantly pissy now and I secretly find pleasure in it. When I woke up in the hospital, I was alone and confused. Also terrified, but mostly I had no idea what the hell had happened. When a nurse finally came in and saw I was awake, her eyes stabbed me with pity. Turns out some old man was driving down Door Road when he saw my body in a ditch. I don't remember the ditch or the road. I remember running out that door and feeling grass between my toes and then nothing. The first question I asked the nurse was how long I'd been there. Two days. Then she told me she'd call my parents and let them know I was awake. They weren't there, my parents. They'd been there briefly on the day that I had been found, but when I woke up, they were at a benefit. A fucking benefit. I didn't see them until supper the next day. It wasn't until I'd been awake for two days that Dr. Lovell broke the news to me I'm pregnant. She said those words to me in a soft, loving tone. She held my hand and brushed the hair away from my face. She told me I was strong and she'd support whatever decision I made decision. It was so strange to hear that word. After living with my family for 18 years and living with him for five months, I scarcely knew what the term meant. Decisions go hand in hand with freedom. After I screamed, threw up, and had an anxiety attack, Dr. Lovell asked me if I wanted my parents to know about the extent of my injuries and my pregnancy. I laughed then, Give it all to them. Don't hold back, I told her. And she did. My mother brought it up first. Abortion. When I think about her insistence that I have the procedure, the irony makes me smile. Jennifer and Frances attend church every week. Appearances, appearances. At home, they've never talked about God. Never prayed before a meal or at bedtime. Hell, I don't even think they own a Bible. Growing up in church, I developed a deep love for him and a serious distaste for organized religion. While my parents smiled at the congregation and shook hands with all the voters, I prayed. I prayed for the strength to be an obedient daughter. I prayed for the fortitude to not smack my mother in her face or call them out on their bullshit. My uber conservative pro-life mother immediately demanding abortion was the perfect example of her hypocrisy. In the two weeks I was in the hospital, she brought it up at least 10 times. I never answered her, never even acknowledged her suggestion. It's driving her crazy, but I have decisions and freedom, and she can fucking wait. That's why, as I watch the landscape pass by out the window in the backseat of their car, they are silent up front. I know what they're thinking. They're worrying how they'd play a pregnancy out to the public. They kept my kidnapping completely secret, told friends and associates I was traveling Europe. The police are in my dad's back pocket, and his best friend is the DA, so it was actually rather simple. It makes me wonder, though, how much of a difference it may have made had people been out there looking for me. If I'm being honest, I made my decision mere hours after Dr. Laval broke the news. But the choice is mine. Nothing has ever been mine before, so I decided I'd hold on to it for a little while before I share it. Mom lets out a dramatic sigh from the front seat. Dad places his hand on her thigh. It's going to be all right, Jen, he tells her. Yes, Jen, you will survive this terrible ordeal. I don't know that I can handle this. It's too much. You have no idea what I'm going through right now, she replies. I snort loudly. Mom turns in her seat, giving me a sideways glance of admonishment. Jen doesn't approve of my humor. I look back out the window, ignoring her pity party. How did I raise such an ungrateful child? She muses. Dear God, give me the strength to not jump out of this car. I caress my stomach instinctively. Dad catches the motion out of the rearview mirror as he parks in our driveway. He grimaces. Fuck it. I'm keeping my baby, I say as I rub my fingers and throw open the door, walking into the home I haven't seen in months. I swipe the mirror with the sleeve of my robe, clearing the fog from my shower. My eyes look a little less haunted today. My cheeks have filled out and they look less pale than yesterday. Opening the robe, I look at my belly. I have a bump. I turn to the side. It's not a huge bump, but it's there. Proof that I'm bound for motherhood. The thought makes me smile. I felt the baby move yesterday. It was only a small flutter, but it was everything. Mom stopped speaking to me the moment I began to show. That was weeks ago. She won't even look at me now. She spends her days drinking cocktails and lashing out at everyone who dares bother her with their existence. Dad does his best to ask how I'm feeling without actually acknowledging that I'm growing a human in my belly. This environment, it's toxic. My baby deserves better. I deserve better. I'm leaving tonight when my parents leave for their annual Christmas party. I have years of allowance saved up. It should be enough to get me through the birth and a few months after, then I'll figure it out. I see dad in the mirror. He's standing in my room, staring at the open suitcase. So much for discretion. I imagine he'll attempt to talk me out of it, but that's not going to work. No child should grow up in this house with these people. My baby is going to know love. Unconditional, consuming love. That doesn't exist here. He leaves the room with his head lowered. By the time I get dressed, he's back. Dad walks over to my suitcase hesitates for a moment, then drops a wad of cash on top of my clothes. He glances up at me, something like sadness in his eyes, and walks out. I slam the door behind him and cry. I cry because my child will never know a grandparent, because from here on out we're on our own. I'll never step foot in this house again. Chapter 33. The sun was beginning to set on the city as JL watched it from the roof of the inn. She'd been back for hours, but Xander had only pulled up with Mike and tow 30 minutes ago. Chris was up here, sitting in a chair by the door. Jack would have told Xander where she was, so each minute that passed without him showing up pissed her off a little bit more. The visit with Francis had been emotionally draining, She was glad her mother hadn't been there though. The fact that Xander hadn't been there with her, for her, that he hadn't even wanted to, hurt. And that pissed her off even more. She'd never allowed anyone close enough to hurt her. And this was why. There was no time for heartache, anger, or tiptoeing around each other. Every hour Jason was missing another hour, he was in potential danger. JL hopped up from the lounge chair heading straight to Chris. Where is he? Chris tilted his head to the side. Xander, where is he? At the bar on the first floor, last I heard, Chris said. Jail moved past him to the door, shoulders back, head held high. The bar was a small room off the main floor, the same pine that accented their suite and the lobby was prominent in here. The walls, the bar itself, the tables and chairs... All finished pines shined to an almost blinding gloss. Xander was easy to spot, being the only patron aside from Mike. JL marched to their table. Mike spotted her first because Xander was facing away. Mike took one look at her and excused himself from the table. He passed her on his way out, giving her nothing but a nod. Xander was still facing away from her when she reached the table. Rounding it, she noticed the beer bottle cradle between his hands. He fingered the label, peeling it at its edges, not even fucking acknowledging her presence. Am I interrupting you? She asked, sweet venom lacing the words. Xander looked up. His eyes were wary, guarded. He tipped his bottle up and down the rest of it, slamming it down when he was done. Gesturing to the chair across from him, Xander cleared his throat. By all means, join me, he said. She sat down, wondering what the hell his problem was. Something had changed. I saw my father today. Might as well cut to the chase. He nodded, his elbows propped on the table, hands clasped together in front of his face. It wasn't the best conversation. Her words were clipped, and when she finished speaking them, and he closed his eyes and braced his forehead against his hands, do you not care to know what was said, she asked, her voice competing with the volume of the blood rushing through her head. Xander's shoulders rose and fell with his deep breath. He met her eyes, his tortured. I know what was said, Jael. His voice was soft, weak. She supposed Chris relayed the conversation to him at some point since they'd returned. I'm sorry, he continued. I know that don't make up for it. Not even close, but I am sorry. The secret, he shook his head. The lie has been gnawing at me since the day we met. It never felt like a good time to tell you. The day I met you, I was spying on you for your father, that he'd hired my company to investigate you and Jason. I started saying it a hundred times, but I hadn't anticipated everything that came after the day I changed your tire. His eyes glassed over. I didn't expect you'd need my protection. Didn't expect to even see you after that day. I never expected. He cleared his throat. But I'd fall for the woman I'd been hired to get information on. What. The. Fuck. His words echoed in her head over and over. Everything. Every single damn thing had been a lie. She swallowed a lump of rage before she broke the silence. You... She started, not knowing how to even organize her anger into complete thoughts. You lied to me? All this time? Her voice was a lethal whisper, and she was glad. She wanted to lash out at his face with her nails, but she'd have to settle for a whip of words instead. My father never mentioned it, but I'm glad I know now. I'm glad I know before I let myself do something stupid, like falling for a lying bastard. Her heart. It hurt. Fuck you, Xander. I don't want you in my life anymore. Not someone who would invade my privacy and weasel his way into my heart to get more information out of me. I trusted you. Do you know what it took for me to do that? Her voice crescendoed in tandem with her feelings. Get your shit out of my room and go. I'll find Jason on my own. He shook his head. Hate me, JL. I don't blame you for it, but Me and my team are not leaving the city before we figure shit out and help you find him. I won't come near you. Mike can communicate with you if that's what you'd like. But no matter what you say, we ain't leaving you here alone. Whatever. She needed to take matters into her own hands anyway. Because so far, none of Xander's people had figured out a damn thing. They could be security guards if they wanted to. But starting tomorrow, she was going to do the investigating herself. J.O. stood up, exhausted to the core and ambled to the exit. I'll put your things in the hallway, she said before she walked out of his life.